We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, Culture Editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Today, I'm joined once again by my colleague, Tristan Justice, who is Western Correspondent at The Federalist. Tristan, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Tristan has been uh, actually really, really following the biggest taboo, I think, in all of the pandemic, which is increasingly becoming less taboo, um, thanks to elites sort of deciding to change their minds. And that is uh, obesity. And it's not even just the biggest taboo in uh, our conversation, our ongoing conversation and policies about the pandemic. It's actually one of the biggest uh, taboos before the pandemic. And in general, um, it's one of the, the most important things affecting our politics, believe it or not. And it's one of the least discussed things in our politics, I guess, uh, aside from <laughs> Michelle Obama. Uh, Tristan, there has been a sort of shift in recent days. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you, also because it's the new year, and that is a time when a lot of people start to refocus on their health, and a lot of people are probably interested in, in refocusing on their health or the health of their family members. Have you observed the same sort of shift in uh, our ability to talk about obesity as it relates to people's health and their safety from COVID-19 in the last couple of weeks? Well, somewhat. I mean, I've seen a shifting. I think Americans are starting to just kind of look at the underlying um you know, where we are to begin with, you know, when it comes to our own health. And I see a couple of signs that um, we're starting to talk about that underlying epidemic that is obesity. Um, you know, Americans weren't healthy going into this pandemic and we're no healthier going coming out of it. Um, and, and so I think as Americans and, and really, you know, elites in the media begin to realize that the coronavirus is endemic and it's going to be here with us to stay, um, starting to really realize how unhealthy we were um, at the basic level. <laughs> and so uh, CNN published this piece uh, a few days ago, you know, highlighting how losing weight, um, if you're obese, can help save you from adverse outcomes from coronavirus. And so I think that's one of the signs where um, the media establishes media establishment is starting to pick up on these broader uh, health trend lines as we confront this new wave of an endemic virus. Right. Yeah. The, there's the CNN article that sort of starts to litigate the correlation between obesity and COVID finally, um, when you know we had that information pretty much from the start. I mean, granted, we do have more information now, but it was obvious from the very beginning of this, even once so much information was uh, confusing and clouded, that it was uh, not in your it was extra dangerous to contract COVID-19 and to be obese as it is with basically, um, I mean, many, many, many diseases. Um, and on top of that, I saw Jill Filipovich, who is a really prominent feminist writer, finally uh, look into this question about how we talk about diet culture um, and whether that's actually helpful to people. Tristan, why you started this beat, you started really following this beat actually before the pandemic, if I'm not mistaken. This was something that you started to follow really closely. You started to do a lot of reporting on it. And it's probably, I, I mean, I'm wondering, I'm curious, is this like the most <laughs> controversial reporting that you do? Like, do you get um, you know, in many cases, more pushback for being honest about this than uh, honest about some more overtly political topics? <laughs> Sometimes, but I'll say the most controversial reporting that we have is uh, probably on transgender issues. That seems to be <laughs> the, the taboo topic of our day. But no, I mean, it's, you know, I started following this topic. Really, I, I came to this job right after college. And so right after college is where you people at least 
you know, people should be worried about their health in college. And, and I was fairly worried about it. But after college is when I got super serious about it. And so when I started this job, I just started writing about things that were interesting to me beyond, you know, the 20, the 20, the, the primaries that were getting underway in 2019 and the election and political stuff and impeachment. Um, so I started writing about um, this health um, and, you know, what we do to keep ourselves healthy and obesity is a big issue plaguing American society today. And it kind of took off during the pandemic because it became such a central issue that no one else was, was focusing on or wanted to focus on or even talk about because our culture has become so sensitive to this issue. Uh, I mean, it, it's, an incredible, it's an incredibly sensitive topic to, to, to confront people about their weight and, and just talk about the issue broadly because, um, it's such an emotional issue. Um, people have struggled with it for years and decades, and there's you know childhood trauma associated with people who are uh, usually um, associated with people who are often overweight and obese. And so, um, approaching this topic, you just have to approach it with level of of sensitivity that deserves, but also not forfeit you know journalistic integrity and <laughs> like we've seen our broader culture do today. And 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 try to almost glorify obesity as something to be proud of. Um, well, not you know, almost. I mean, they have explicitly glorified obesity. Oh, totally. I mean, the cover of Cosmopolitan magazine, uh, I'm sure some of our listeners have already seen this, but a year ago, uh, a year ago this month, Cosmopolitan came out with uh, these cover these covers um, where they had visibly um, morbidly obese women with the captions, this is healthy. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's a big issue when it's a women's magazine that has a circulation of 3 million. And so millions of girls out there were being or taking in this image of visibly obese women claiming this is healthy. Um, and it's not healthy. I mean, I read the cover story and it was pretty explicitly glorifying um, obesity in the middle of a pandemic, which where, you know, I think the, the death toll at the time was like a thousand people a day. I mean, this was the height of that of, of our first initial wave of this pandemic in January last year, if you remember, Emily, I mean, it was 1,000 people a day because um, the vaccines weren't as widely available yet. And so uh, it, it's just, it's, it's incredibly irresponsible, but that's, that's where our culture has been, been headed. It's, it's going to, it's kind of become uh, one of the latest installments of this, this kind of wokeism that's come out of recent years where uh, we have to glorify our ailments such as uh, obesity and it's, it's dangerous for the country. Yeah, it's it's obviously backwards, um, and it's wrong in in so many ways. It's classist, and I think we can get to that in a bit. But Tristan, what do we know about the link between obesity and COVID nineteen? Like, what is the science, as people like to breathlessly invoke with a capital S, um, when it comes to obesity and COVID? Well, if, if you're worried about COVID, the best thing that you can do for yourself is to get yourself to and maintain yourself at a healthy weight. Um, we know that, I mean, the data is pretty conclusive on this. Um, people who are obese have 113% higher chance of being hospitalized, 74% higher chance of become, ending up in the ICU, and a 48% higher chance of of dying from COVID. So the best thing that you can do for yourself absent of getting a vaccine is, is to keep yourself at a healthy weight and, and, and just worry about your, your baseline health to begin with. Um, and then you're not really, you are dramatically safer from COVID-19 than, than someone 
otherwise overweight or obese. I mean, there was a, a study that came out in March last year that combed through the data on those who were hospitalized with COVID. 78% of those who ended up in the hospital were overweight or obese. And so, again, if you're worried about COVID, you need to maintain a healthy lifestyle to begin with. Because, um, I mean, when you contract when you contract a, a virus of inflammation, uh, when your cells are already inflamed, it's just a recipe for disaster. And we've seen that come out in the data. And what do we know about the prevalence of obesity in the United States just in general? I think everybody understands that uh, the country as a whole is is more overweight than it should be. Um, but when you look at the figures, they're actually pretty stark. I mean, the the numbers are, are sort of shocking. And there are, of course, and we can get into this, um, conflicts about the, the way that we calculate what is obese, what is overweight. Um, but broadly, I think these numbers actually are pretty helpful. Uh, how much, how many Americans are suffering from this? Yeah, so according to the CDC, if you are at a healthy weight, as defined by the CDC's definition of body mass index, if you are at a healthy weight, you're actually in the minority in this country. Um, 42% of American adults are twenty age 20 years and older are obese, and 70% 70, 70 of adults um, were classified as overweight. And so, uh, again, if you're at a healthy weight in America, you're in the minority in this country. And, and I want to be clear about that data. It's actually three-year-old data, and four-year-old data. So that predates the pandemic a pandemic where the average American put on 29 pounds. <laughs> and so, um, you know, the, the latest data from the CDC, it, it's just not very up to date on this. And so, you know, considering how much weight the average American gained, those numbers are probably far higher. I mean, uh, the CDC did come out with some data last fall that showed the number of states with where more than a third of the population are obese doubled <laughs> over two years. Um, that means we, we have we have 16 states now uh, where the population is, is obese is more than 35 percent. Um, and that's staggering. I mean, that just illustrates how much we've normalized obesity. Right. And uh, do you have any of the numbers sort of close to the top of your head about uh, young people and even children that are obese? Yeah, and that's one of the most frightening consequences of our changing culture on this, because, you know, as adults continue to gain weight without without worrying about the consequences, um, our children are picking up our bad habits. I mean, children aged 5 to 11 who are overweight or obese spiked over the pandemic from 36 to 46 percent. That's about a 10 percent. That's a 10 percent increase. And um, there was a, a just before that data, that, that number came out, I think it was in, in November. But uh, just before that number came out, there was an analysis from a team of, of, of highly decorated researchers who, who talked about how um, it was going to be a majority of kids within a few years who were overweight or obese. And that timeline is probably way far accelerated by this point, just by the pandemic exacerbating these unhealthy habits. And so, you know, it's ironic, Emily, for a virus that targets obese people so significantly, like we've seen, it really should have been a wake-up call <laughs> to our obesity epidemic in this country, and it really just hasn't. You know, I've <laughs> I've heard from some people on the right saying maybe they've rethought, and not many people, but just sort of tongue-in-cheek, they've rethought the Michelle Obama, the Michael Bloomberg uh, approach and policies during the Obama administration um, when it comes to, like, Bloomberg in particular, um, actually trying to combat obesity with 
policies that uh, people on the right would consider you know wild government overreach that uh, you know sort of makes the balance between personal responsibility and government control out of whack, um, which I think is an argument I still agree with. But what about you, Tristan, um, as somebody who thinks about this and covers this a lot? Where do you stand looking back on some of those um, more controlling uh, approaches by the left? Uh, you know, in the last decade uh, or maybe even you know about a decade ago. Where do those stand in your mind today? Well, I, you know, I, I don't think banning big gulps is going to be as effective as I think Michael Bloomberg expected them to be. And I was one of those people 10 years ago. I was in high school and middle school um, who would just kind of roll their eyes at all these initiatives from Michelle Obama and Michael Bloomberg, et cetera. Um, but now I wish I, I, I miss their activism. I, I've written about this too. I, I miss Michelle Obama's activism. She had this entire campaign against childhood obesity and we should have listened to her um, 10 years ago. Um, but instead she was mocked by people like me, admittedly. Um, so, I mean, using government control measures, you know, I don't think we should be banning sodas, banning sugars, et cetera. I mean, there's also an industry that's way too big to, to, to that would counter that. It's, it's not, you know, tobacco is small compared to the food industry. Um, but I, I do think culturally we need to be stigmatizing some of these unhealthy practices the same way we do smoking. I mean, we, we place high taxes on smoking and other, um, you know, excess vices. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't think a tax, a tax policy against you know, items like sugar, pop, and oversized sodas uh, would be necessarily a, a bad thing, um, especially considering uh, how, you know, our, I'd much rather pay a higher tax tax for sodas and face uh, all these mask mandates everywhere. <laughs> and so, um, you know, if we could just focus on our underlying health issues, maybe we wouldn't have the, you know, such dramatic outcomes and such hysteria over uh, COVID-19. Um, but, you know, we, we need, we need to stigmatize obesity the same way we stigmatize smoking. You know, you don't go right, you don't go straight to a smoker in public and say, you're going to die and, and shame them for it. So you're not going to go to a fat person and, and, and scream in their face, but we do need to acknowledge these are unhealthy lifestyles and, and we shouldn't be celebrating them in the way that we have. I mean, COVID-19 started, again, a virus that affected these people way more disproportionately than healthy weight people. Um, <laughs> we sent everyone home to binge on Tiger King and brownies. <laughs> it, it, not, so necessarily, <laughs> not necessarily the most productive thing to do with the virus that attacks respiratory systems um, uh, on top of shutting down uh, gyms and, and, and everything else. Yeah. Um, and there's so much to just like pick apart from what you just said and not in a bad way, but allow me to play devil's advocate um, when sure. and I'm sure I'm assuming the Cosmo cover story that you uh, referenced earlier is one such example of this, that uh, there's this, this argument that, you know, you can be healthy and you can be overweight and you can be healthy and in some cases be obese, I think is an argument that is ridiculous, but is actually used by some people. Um, what is the the sort of obvious case against that argument? I mean, just look at the data. I mean, look at the data who's being hospitalized with COVID-19 and look at the data on who, who contracts things like diabetes and heart disease and stroke and cancers. Um, all of these things are, are, are directly linked to obesity as, as a prime comorbidity. I mean, no one can tell me that they eat 40,000 calories a day are 300 pounds overweight and, and, and claim to be healthy. <laughs> I have watched too much TLC for that. <laughs> um, uh, but no, I mean, if you are overweight, you are by definition, at least by CDC standards, unhealthy. And no, no sources that I've spoken to have taken seriously any arguments that we're calculating obesity wrong. 
when did we decide to stop upholding free speech as a basic right? What's playing out right now at big tech companies and social media sites sets a dangerous precedent. Look, it doesn't matter what your politics are or who you voted for. Everyone should have the right to express themselves freely. Sadly, the big tech monopoly has instead opted for silencing tactics and censorship. To fight back against big tech's control of the internet, I use ExpressVPN. Ever wondered how free-to-access tech giants make all their money? Well, by tracking your searches, video history, and everything you click on. By building a profile on you and then selling off your sensitive data. When you use the ExpressVPN app on your computer or phone, you anonymize much of your online presence by hiding your IP address. That makes your activity more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. What's more, ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your network data to protect you from eavesdroppers and cyber criminals. What I like most is how easy it is to use. It just takes one click to protect all your devices. That's why ExpressVPN is rated number one by Business Insider. So let's stop allowing big tech to revoke our rights to free speech. Why not revoke their right to your data instead? Secure your internet with the VPN I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash federalist. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash federalist to get three extra months free with my exclusive link. Go to expressvpn.com slash federalist, expressvpn.com slash federalist right now to learn more. Yeah, and I think people like to to sort of do the the cherry picking and say, you know, this person can have this person may be overweight by the uh, calculation, but if you look at them, they they you know their other numbers are still fine. But mm-hmm. that's again, those are individuals individual examples and and not the aggregate. And the aggregate does seem to be pretty patently obvious. So Tristan, why do you think it is? You you sort of connected this to wokeism earlier and it you know it, it definitely as you know predates what we call wokeism. There's this great spat. I mean, Joan Rivers was going after Oprah like t- to her face on on Carson um a long time ago and and Joan Rivers had a spat with Lena Dunham. Um I think she told Howard Stern, you know, the the explanation for why basically she stigmatizes Dunham's uh overweight status. I don't know if she was overweight or technically obese at that point um but why do you think it is that as a culture we had glossy magazines over and over again um the new york times has published and just recently published another op-ed on this but has published many op-eds on this Uh, why do you think it is that our elites in media have even as michelle obama was tackling this issue have uh, decided to wage a, a campaign against stigmatizing obesity well, they're capitalizing on the culture here. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to. They're capitalizing on the fact that we've normalized obesity and weight in such a way where a majority of America is now overweight. <laughs> and so they're playing on these um, emotional pasts that are connected to weight um, uh, to, to, to profit off that, whether it's socially and, and financially. I mean, uh, again, it's such socially, an emotional that's issue. That's a really good point, Tristan. You just said whether it's socially or financially. Can you? That, that is such a good point. Can you explain what you mean by that? Oh, totally. I mean, a celebrity who wants to enhance their public image is going to, um, especially among a, a population where majority is overweight or obese, um, 
you know, they'll come out with a campaign saying being obese is okay. <laughs> and they'll tug on the emotional heartstrings of, of new potential followers and it'll enhance their image and boost their profile. And then from there, then they can continue to profit from that. And so, uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, the nation, when, when, when it's majority overweight and obese and, and the majority has, has, you know, struggled with this issue so much, um, they're going to be susceptible to mis- to messages in the media um, about you know uh, weight acceptance and and, and that acceptance um, in the process acceptance of an unhealthy lifestyle, <laughs> and then we get to COVID nineteen. And then, you know, you sit around and then wait for a vaccine to come along um, and, and, and ignore uh, your baseline health to begin with. And so, you know, we're always waiting for the next magic pill to save us. We never want to take personal agency or personal responsibility. Uh, we're always waiting on a magic therapeutic to come save us and demand everyone else to live their lives uh, and to minimize our own risk um, because we fail to practice personal agency. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's an important um, point as we talk about, you know, the question of, of policy versus culture and the interplay between two of the two of them. I think this is an issue that is so, so very much deeper than policy. And this is my little rant on it, which is that uh, we are we sort of lose track of how quickly uh, humans have changed. And on this podcast, we talked to Brett Weinstein and Heather Hang about this, um, you know, a few months ago in reference to their new book, A Hunter Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century. Um, we're living very different lives than humans have lived for the vast majority of, of our existence on planet Earth. And that changed really quickly. Um, and even, you know, if we have the perspective of time, it's changed really quickly since, you know, the printing press. There are all of these innovations and technologies that have snowballed so rapidly that we live sedentary. Our, our lives are so much more sedentary than our bodies are, are meant to handle. Um, and that seems something that, you know, maybe government policies here or there can help when they're appropriate and, and constitutional and all of that. But this is so much deeper. This is about the way that we relate to other people as human beings. This is about the way that we work and make a living. This is about the way that we exist um, every single morning when we wake up until our head hits the pillow, even actually while we're sleeping because we sleep less. And we know that that's correlated with negative health uh, outcomes or not that we sleep less, but that we sleep more poorly uh, because of screens and um, all of that. So I'm guilty. Seems, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it seems to me that we, we do just, we have so much more. I mean, this is also explains anxiety rates, depression rates, suicide mm-hmm. rates. Um, there's so much going on here. And obesity is such an important part of the picture because you have a majority of the country that is, is unhealthy and the, this unhealthiness is not comfortable. Um, you, you know, people are living their everyday lives in a state of discomfort. And that's a, a huge, huge point. And it's so much deeper than politics. And it's not even, I don't know that it's even just a culture of, of personal responsibility. It's also just this, I, I agree with you on that point, but it seems to me it's, it, we need to have a cultural awareness of um, our the changes to the sort of human existence that have been induced by technology. And I don't know what that looks like, but that seems to me one of the most important antidotes to all of these trends that are correlated with our sedentary lives and our technology and and all of that. No, I I think you make a really 
good point there. Um, Usually yeah, true. Definitely, <laughs> definitely got my wheels turning over here. Um, no, I, especially what you said about, you know, the way we're living as compared to our ancestors. I mean, humans have been on the planet 40, 50,000 years. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> living beyond 30 or 40 years was, was pretty rare um, until just a few hundred years ago, if that. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, it, it get read in New York Times or something on this, on this topic. It was, you know, if you're, if you're beyond 40, 50 years old, you're, you're living like a like a shared lifespan or something like that. Um, it is true, and and, and and you know the developed world seems to take for granted um, the way we live compared to the way our ancestors did. And, and, and within that, we've um, are you know for as much as we claim to care so much about our health, it doesn't seem like Americans at least uh, do care about our basic health when a majority of the population is, is overweight or obese. And we've just kind of come to accept that. We've come to embrace you know corporate campaigns to promote that and, and capitalize on that. I mean, Calvin Klein, I, I love Calvin Klein brand, but, you know, they're, they had an advertising campaign last year glorifying obesity. Um, really? You know, Tell me and, about and, that. Yeah, well, I, I think it was partially more, uh, they, were, they were glorifying kind of all the different aspects of, of where Wilkinson's gone. So they've been, they're glorifying transgender bodies and, and featuring models like that, but they were also featuring models who were just visibly obese. Um, and, and so all, 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 all the ticks of wokeism they were kind of um, promoting in, in one of their latest campaigns. It, it was, it was, a, it was a far stretch from um, the naked underwear models who are probably definitely photoshopped <laughs> um, to look chiseled. Uh, and, you know, I was just in Calvin Klein's store three weeks ago and you definitely still see those models in there. Um, but I do still see other advertising campaign, this, this latest promotional campaign where um, it's kind of pushing, you know, images of, of obese people as if that was that was kind of where the brand was going um so but no and then and that's happening you know and other retail giants too just capitalizing on you know our, our changing culture and, and, and changing weight too and it, it's because it's starting to affect you know kind of kind of every part of our society clothes are getting bigger air fa rules for airplane weights need to be recalibrated because they're decades old now americans are heavier their suitcases are bigger their clothes are bigger so i mean the faa is is literally asking airlines changing its its weight regulations for airlines to adapt and so um it's really starting to to we, we're really just normalizing this and accepting this in a way that, that's super unhealthy and and it's just it's shocking that this pandemic has not been the wake-up call that it needs to be I, and i think you know in an era of uh, public health pandemics now it's i'm i'm really concerned about what you know our our, our health status is going to look like going into the next respiratory virus Mm, yeah, that's a sort of harrowing uh, thought. Uh, there's one of the uh, elements of this conversation is how deeply classist it is from the corporate media um, because obesity prevalence obviously increases as uh, income and, and wealth decreases, right, Tristan? That the poorer you right. are, the more likely you are to become obese. No, I, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, I watching, you know, watching a lot of TLC shows lately. <laughs> um, and one of them is a thousand pound sisters. And I wrote a column about this too. And now, um, there are these, these women in Western Kentucky who are together. They were a thousand pounds at the start of the series. One lost the weight, the weight loss surgery. She's been successful so far. And now she's getting skin removal. The other is still struggling and season three is playing out right now. Um, but it's these women, you know, they, they, they don't come from a ton 
enough money. Um, but their show is, 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 is you know, it's, it's a high rated series. It's, it's performing well on, on television for metropolitan leads from the cities who are <laughs> looking onward with, with, with nearly zero self-awareness. I mean, it was a hundred years ago, you'd pay a dime to go see the fat lady in the circus tent. Now you just have to turn on TLC. <laughs> um, you know, we just don't, the two classes just don't live and act the same the same way anymore i mean um you know at the lower at the lower poverty levels you see um you know higher divorce rates higher um you know higher levels of obesity um higher, luck, yeah yeah and so we just we just don't we don't be we don't behave the same way um like we did 50 40 years ago um and and, and so and that that class divide is just gonna is just gonna keep keep growing um it it is i, I think harder to to eat healthy today than it, than it was 50 years ago despite all of our um you know advent in the food industry uh, i mean you go to the grocery store <laughs> You know, I, I'm uncomfortable shopping in any of the center aisles. <laughs> it, it's just all littered with with processed food that has you know toxic chemicals. It's got excess sugar, excess sodium. You know, virtually nothing in the frozen aisle is healthy for you. Uh, I mean, my roommate just started the the paleo diet, um, and she so she's following all these rules. She's doing it in conjunction with her CrossFit gym. Um, and <laughs> that's she, the most millennial thing I've ever heard. <laughs> she's doing great. I have to drink her sugar milk because she bought the wrong milk. <laughs> We're <laughs> so just gonna throw it out, but I mean, she went to this. She went to two special grocery stores, and she bought all these products and supplies you know, that was important to the book. And then, you know, she's gone to nutrition labels last night, and she was discovering half of what she bought had a few grams of added sugar in them. And the paleo diet, for those who don't know, is zero grams added sugar. I mean, it is it is no added sugar period in that diet. And so, uh, but all these items she, she got specifically for the diet had sugar in them, <laughs> and so. Uh, and, and, you know, a little bit of sugar is actually technically okay. According to the American Heart Association, I think for women, the max number is 36 grams. Men, it's like 42 grams. I could be wrong on those exact numbers. But um, there is, there, you know, you can have a little bit of added sugar and be okay. Um, but the issue is an issue of excess. I mean, you go into a grocery store today, you walk around any of the center aisles, look at their nutrition labels, and um, you're just not getting what you need. You're, you're, it is down the line, it's going to cause problems. Um, and, and so our food supply is making us sick and we're getting sicker. Okay, so this is another really important point, um, and it's one of the. It, it gets into this entire conversation that we were just uh, dipping our toes into about technology, um, and you can have this conversation as we have on this podcast many times before about technology from birth control to uh, the metaverse to the food supply. But the food supply is, is something that people on the left have long discussed. And the FDA is in the process right now of bungling the policy about labeling uh, genetically modified food, which I don't think is a particularly helpful policy at all. And it's no surprise that they're bungling it, even to the uh, complaints of people who support, you know, are, are you know, rethinking our food supply. Um, but Tristan, the the link between obesity and what we're eating, not just how much we're eating. Tell us what you know about that. Well, I mean, sources I've spoken to on this say it, it doesn't need to be 
all that complicated. Um, you know, to, to, to live and eat, live a healthy style, healthy lifestyle with a healthy diet, just eating whole foods, whole grains, um, and, and stay away from, from processed foods. Um, and, and they talked about how, um, you know, this, again, it's not just the excess, but it, it's the, it's the quality food that we're getting right. So when, when it's usually processed, it usually doesn't have, um, as, as much protein as, as we're needing. And it's usually high in salts and, and artificial products that, that just don't give us the nutrients that um, it might give us what we, we might be, might be craving, <laughs> just not what we might be eating. I mean, some, a lot of these processed products are incredibly addicting. I mean, open up a bag of Oreos and only have two. I promise you're going to go back for a third one if it's still sitting on the counter. Um, same thing with a bag of chips. I, I mean, I'm guilt. I'm, I'm guilty Cheeto fan here, but um, <laughs> Cheeto. Everything in, really? everything in moderation. <laughs> but, like, uh, of all of the unhealthy foods to have an addiction problem with Cheetos seems the I, I haven't bought a bag in two months, so um, you know, New Year's resolution. I'm going to keep it for twelve. Um, no, but I mean, it's an it's an addictive food supply, and it's just not getting getting us what we need. It's just filler calories. It isn't it, it? You know, it's it's not it's not helping in the healthy replication of our own cells. You know, I think it's like 10, 12 years. Your bone marrow is like completely um, been replaced or something like that. And so, um, no, you know, Americans, you know, we don't need to comp Complicate this. Eat whole, healthy uh, food. Um, cook when you can, and, and shop on the, the edges of the grocery stores, not in the centers. Um, it, it's it's, it's uh, a lot of people I've spoken to saying we just we, we tend to complicate things with keto diet and paleo diet, etc. Um, I went vegan for a month. <laughs> Way too oh much work. <laughs> I was doing it in conjunction with CrossFit. I eased into it. Did oh it by the my book. gosh! It was you know I felt great, and you know I I, I it, it was great there's just too much work and that's coming from someone who doesn't have kids doesn't have a pet and was february in the middle of the lockdown and so because the amount of calories you need for vegan and crossfit it's just it was too much um but no we, we tend to overcomplicate things and i think we can just simplify it you know minimize the added sugars minimize the processed food when i say minimize i mean <laughs> no processed food preferably <laughs> um uh, cook when you can shop whole foods uh or shop for whole foods don't shop at whole foods if you can't <laughs> want um but you ju just keep it simple um healthy eating you know beyond all these nuanced metrics that are giving all these diets out over the last 30 40 years baseline healthy eating has remained remarkably consistent mm. yeah and this is again it, it speaks to i think the personal responsibility question in that we are flooded with bad choices and a lot of powerful people are profiting off of that um, and they are normalizing it right and they're making money off the normalization of it so it's not only the normalization of unhealthy lifestyles by glossy magazines that are led by people with equinox memberships um, and you know the whatever the the sort of meal delivery programs are healthy meal delivery programs um, that affect people and, and normalize uh, a bad lifestyle for people who want that message that they can they, they can be healthy and they can be comfortable in it and they don't need to exert extra time um, you know in their very busy lives working multiple shifts taking care of children um, to work out or to uh, eat healthily or go to that extra effort and so you, some of this is you know very much the corruption of our elites but it, it, the answer to that um, you know doesn't necessitate unconstitutional action it doesn't necessitate um, government overreach it does though make it incumbent I think on the right 
to push for a culture of awareness and, and honesty about these questions. And, you know, the left, you know, you've had people like Michael Pollan, I think with some dubious takes on this for years, but this has been a sort of a, a popular um, issue on the far left, at least for a while, taking on Monsanto and all of these different companies. Um, what do you think this could look like on the right, Tristan? You you write about this a lot. Um, do you see a world where Republican politicians really start taking this up? Yeah, I mean, I, I think big, big food is kind of becoming like big pharma to a degree, um, especially as conservative, conservatives um, pay more attention to baseline health outcomes. I, I, I think there's possibility for some, some, I don't know, bi bipartisanship on this in terms of just taking on some of these big, big actors. Um, and so, but I, I think on the left, you know, the, the idea of taking on uh, some of this is kind of beginning to come into conflict with this kind of uh, woke movement that that's taken taken over. Um, you know, pushing anything that's uh, you know pushing against anything that's going after obesity as being fat phobic. I mean, the <laughs> the CEO of Sweetgreen last year came under controversy for a LinkedIn post that uh, that rose issue with mandates and said what if we just all ate a salad every once in a while <laughs> and chopped at sweet green yeah. <laughs> and chopped at sweet green i love sweet green um and uh, he chopped he came he, people came out the left came after him as fat phobic <laughs> um if that's fat phobia maybe we can be a little more fat phobic yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm never in favor of fat shaming, but if we're going to liberalize fat shaming to mean that you're just encouraging a healthy lifestyle instead of imposing all of these draconian mandates on everyone, then maybe we can do adopt a little bit more of that. But, um, but for the right, I do think we're going to see, uh, or hopefully we'll see uh, kind of a bigger animosity towards some of these big bad actors um, in the food industry, um, but or, or, or really just you know accountability when it comes to um, personal health and, and person a healthy weight. Um, but that there it remains to be seen still. Well, accountability, and again, I keep using this word awareness, and for me, that's been a, a big thing, just sort of like taking stock and realizing, you know, when COVID hit, they used to walk everywhere, but there was nowhere to walk to, right? Like, there there were fewer meetings and, and all of that, um, right. and, you know, just the way that what you're actually putting into your body does, it matters so much, um, and it's so much different than, you know, humans were sort of built to in our in our natural environment to consume um and that's not to say that all of it is terrible and of course one thing that i haven't you know issued this usual caveat like technology has has made us live much longer lives and has you know prevented a lot of illnesses and has made us healthier to an extent um in some <laughs> different ways but that also raises questions about how long we're living and what the what that life is like um tristan this is a sort of we've had a i think a very specific and then also a very broad and, and general conversation um which is it is so important and i think it's so interesting because there are so many trend lines in our politics that match up exactly to this issue of obesity um do you have anything that we haven't touched on um, so far that you think is important to the discussion? Um, yeah, I, I think it's bizarre that some of these big groups that claim to be champions against obesity and, and, and spearheading the fight against obesity are simultaneously kind of co-opting this this movement on the left to destigmatize obesity. I, I've been shocked at some of these. Uh, I can't think of a little one off the top of my head, but I was reached out by some one PR person reached out to me and took an issue with the way I was phrasing things in my articles and said I needed to 
uh, work on uh, claiming obesity as an addiction as opposed to um, anything else and how we need to destigmatize obesity. Um, imagine going to an, uh, an anti-smoking website and the website is, is, is demanding Americans destigmatize smoking. It just feels really odd to me. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I do think we can acknowledge obesity as an addiction while simultaneously stigmatizing obesity the same we do with, with smoking um, and, and encourage personal agency and personal responsibility. I would also encourage anyone um, who, who struggles with going to the gym uh, just by lack of knowing what to do etc with joining group fitness classes i think i think people would be surprised at um how much more they can accomplish in a group environment um personally i love group classes i go every day um I, that i that's just i feel like i do way more than if i go on my own um and and it's always been more beneficial so <laughs> go to the group classes <laughs> go to the group classes <laughs> um no i think these are these are all helpful points and also i know that it's been a line for a long time for people to like take the stairs when they can but it does seem to me that we're just so much less active in very easy ways <clears throat> and you know you, you could even talk about cars um and the way that we we sort of travel further distances but not physically um or or with less physical activity uh, so it, walking i think is like it's such an easy thing to do and you don't have to go to a gym to do it but it can be so helpful and that gets to the point about just rethinking you know the basics you know re rethinking the way that you uh you know go about your business from nine to five and then even when you sleep but you know i'm, I'm not a health expert I'm, I'm the furthest thing from it i uh <laughs> I have probably the worst uh, health habits in the universe, so don't take anything. Eat your superfoods, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we shouldn't talk about my health rituals. <laughs> they are decidedly um, unhealthy. But that being said, gosh, I just hate vegetables. I hate them so much. <laughs> You can learn to love them. Watch Dr. Oz. <laughs> I, I don't want to listen to you tell me to learn to love vegetables. It's just, it's just <laughs> uh, but Tristan Justice, thank you for your time uh, as always. And, and thank you for following this topic and for doing it uh, without fear or favor. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Of course. You've been listening to Tristan Justice. He's our Western correspondent at The Federalist. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. We'll be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray.